0: All right, guys. This is our let's see, Daniel chapter seven, eight, nine. This is our fourth and uh, final video in Daniel for some time, uh, unless I go back and and cover uh, Daniel chapter two, where he interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream. But basically, it's the same thing that we've been talking about in these other videos. So. This video will most likely cover Daniel chapter 10, which is basically um, his conversation with an angel in a vision. And then um, chapter 11 is the vision. And chapter 12, we get another short vision, um, just a few verses. So I just want to speak um, briefly on a quick timeline of some of these events. These aren't time sensitive in the sense that maybe Daniel chapter nine, verse 24 through 27, the prophecies of the Messiah has a few very, very specific time sensitive prophecies and some within those few verses that are not time sensitive, which I mentioned. Um, Most of these are not time sensitive. They're just future. But since we're in, you know uh, 2500 years removed from this uh, we can just look back on history and line up these prophecies with their historical fulfillments and it's a lot of prophecies in here and they're they're all fulfilled and I gotta I just gotta say this again before we go through chapter 10 11 and 12 the ability of the Old Testament, the Bible, to predict the future is unparalleled. We don't see this with any other religious writing, definitely none that I've read. Um, while there may be encounters with spiritual beings or something of the sort, uh, we don't have prophecy. No one can read the future this far in advance. Um, no demon or spirit or deity can do this uh, other than Yahweh who is orchestrating history. So I see all this to say, um, don't take these prophecies lightly. This is profound. If you're someone who loves hard evidence, if you're someone who loves facts, I- I'm with you on that. This is, uh, this is right up your, your alley, your cup of tea. You can read your Bible in one hand and a history book in another hand and go, Oh, wow. Okay. And here's where it was fulfilled. Here's another prophecy. Here's where it was fulfilled. So I just wanted to say that, uh, keep that in mind. um, I think it has a strong apologetic or defense for our faith uh, that's that's uh, rooted in history, fulfilled in history, and uh, it's just very profound. Um, no one else has a faith like this. It's set apart in that kind of a way. So, with all that being said, we'll dive into Daniel chapter ten and close out this um, prophetic series of the interpretation of the visions of Daniel concerning um, his future and the end of the age of the Jewish people. In verse 1, we pick up, in the uh, third year of King Cyrus of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who is also called Belshazzar. if you read the beginning of Daniel, they were all renamed with uh, Babylonian names instead of uh, Israelite names. This message was true and concerned a great war. He understood the message and gained insight by the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three whole weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine came to my lips. Nor did I anoint myself with oil until the end of those three weeks. That's the real Daniel fast where uh, you don't eat anything and you only drink water and you don't take a bath for three weeks. That's my thoughts on the Daniel fast. I hope someone snippets this video clip and reposts it, and it goes viral on YouTube. Anyways, in uh, verse four, chapter ten, he says, "On the twenty-fourth day of the first month, I was beside the great river, the Tigris. I looked up and saw a man clothed in linen. Around his waist was a belt made of gold from Upass. His body resembled yellow jasper. His face had an appearance like lightning." His eyes were like blazing torches. His arms and feet had the gleam of polished bronze. His voice thundered forth like the sound of a large crowd. Again, this is speaking of Jesus Christ. Um, In his vision, it's showing the uh, resurrected Christ. We see a similar picture in the book of Revelation. And there is so much overlap and correlation uh, for, for right reason between Daniel and Revelation. Much of the message is, is similar as well. Only I, Daniel, saw the vision. The men who were with me did not see it. On the contrary, they were overcome with fright and ran away to hide. Again, so as I spoke of in the transfiguration of, of Christ, did a video on that in the Mark series. Only um as God wills, when he reveals himself to people, do people see. So here is a scenario in which Daniel is with a group of men and he sees a vision, but they do not see it. We see this with, uh, I would argue, clear in the scriptures when we compare the synoptic gospels of the vision of God's blessing on the baptism of Jesus. Um, And I won't go into that, but just note that this is another one of those passages where God reveals himself to someone publicly but people don't publicly um, all receive that, that vision or that, um, that supernatural revelation. On the contrary, uh, they were overcome with fright and ran away to hide. I alone was left to see this great vision. My strength drained from me and my vigor disappeared. I was without energy. I listened to his voice, and as I did so, I fell into a trans-like sleep, just like Abraham in the Old Testament, with my face to the ground. Then a hand touched me and set me on my hands and knees. He said to me, Daniel, you are of great value. Or uh, another way to put it could be a treasured person or a person or a man greatly beloved, a man of high esteem. Uh, If you haven't noticed, uh, Daniel is highly valued by God. And uh, I would just encourage you in that vein. Uh, Daniel was known to pray three times a day, and uh, God revealed him many things, and uh, they had a close relationship. Understand the words that I am about to speak to you, so stand up, for I have now been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up shaking. Then he said to me, don't be afraid, Daniel, for from the very first day you applied your mind to understand And to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. I have come in response to your words. However, the prince of the kingdom of Persia was opposing me for 21 days. But Michael, one of the leading princes, came to help me because I was left there with the kings of Persia. Now for verse 13, as I mentioned before, as we started from Daniel chapter 7, when we see stars based on that Deuteronomy 32 verse 8, not verse 11, uh, worldview, we know that um, archangels, if you will, the highest of angels, uh, according to the Old Testament, are placed in charge over people groups. So this is another one of those clear distinctions. Every time the Bible says prince, it doesn't mean this, but a lot of times when it says prince, it does mean this. However, the prince of the kingdom of Persia was opposing me. That's what the angel is saying to Daniel. So the angel is held up by the prince of Persia. So quite possibly while there is um, an earthly king of Persia, we also see this with Rome. um, The Bible would speak of an angelic ruler who is empowering that earthly leader. So not to say that they're necessarily possessed, although someone like Nero uh, seems to show that. Um, but it is to say that, that they are being given aid, and we're going to see that really clearly um, in this video as we cover these three chapters. But uh, this is one of those cases, so um, recognize that, uh, that uh, systematic truth that we bump into over and over again throughout the Scriptures. Now, I have come to help you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days or in the last days uh, for the vision pertains to future days. While he was saying this to me, I was flat on the ground and unable to speak. Then one who appeared to be a human being was touching my lips. I opened my mouth and started to speak, saying to the one who was standing before me, Sir, due to the vision, anxiety has gripped me and I have no strength. How, sir, am I able to speak with you? My strength is gone and I am breathless. Then the one who appeared to be a human being touched me again. And strengthened me, he said to me, "Don't be afraid, you who are valued. Peace be to you. Be strong. Be really strong." When he spoke to me, I was strengthened. I said, "Sir, you may speak now, for you have given me strength." So it seems like Daniel uh, encounters this angel, who they're usually in the form of looking like um, a male human being, and he um, sucks the strength out of him. The angel returns that to him. He says. Um, for you have given me strength," he said. "Do you know why I have come to you? Now I am about to return to engage in battle with the prince of Persia. When I go, the prince of Greece is coming. So it seems like the way I would interpret this um, is that over these worldly kingdoms that uh, Daniel is being given revelation of concerning um, Babylon concerning. The four beasts, so Babylon, uh, Persia, the Persian Empire, uh, the Greek Empire, and then the Roman Empire. The Bible seems to teach that it's not only human power and authority that is driving history, but it's also um, angels in high places that rule and reign. Uh, See Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. See Psalm 81, Psalm 82 for this type of worldview. And so according to the Bible, that's how we should see the world as world powers, as Paul goes on to teach us in the new Testament, that our war that we wage is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavens. So um, what you see is not always what you get. So anyways, um, verse uh, 17, let's see verse 20 you know, I've come to you. Now I'm about to return to engage in battle. So it seems like, of course, this isn't speaking of the physical realm. I mean, this is speaking of something angelic. The angel's not saying, hey, I'm going to go fight the king. Like he literally means he's going. And it seems like there's angelic warfare going on. We're not given all the details. Boy, that would make for an awesome movie. Um, but it just says he's going back to engage in battle, whatever that means. Seems to be angelic fighting, like a literal combat. I don't know. That's how I'd interpret it. The prince of Persia, when I go, the prince of Greece is coming. So it's like he's going to fight this other prince. Uh, when he leaves, the prince of Greece is coming. Um, so maybe he's going to fight, fight off and conquer this Persian spiritual authority, which will then strip the authority from the Persian empire. And as we know, according to the prophecies of Daniel, and the four beasts, the next empire that is to come will be the prince, uh, will be the the Greek empire, which according to this angel seems to also have an angelic um, manifestation of authority and power, uh, which is probably opposed to God. Uh, most likely, that is going to take up with this new empire. So, anyways, just wanted to explain that in case you're um, uh, curious what all that's that uh, and angelology type stuff means, I think that's what it's getting at. Verse 21, chapter 10, however, I will first tell you what is written in a dependable book. We're not told what this book is. One of the many books that scripture mentions, but uh, it seems to be a, a heavenly book. Um, in Hebrew, it's a book of truth. Maybe it's the New Testament up in heaven. Who knows? I don't know. Um, but a, a book of God's truth. Again, there's. Um, if you haven't watched the preceding videos, Um, There's a Lamb's Book of Life that's referenced in Revelation. There's a couple books. And there's also in Psalm 139, we see another book that um, claims to have each and every one of our days written down and what is to take place in our lives. So the general idea is that God is sovereign over all of human history and every human life, but that we still have um, a certain amount of freedom, but to be sure, God has more freedom than we do because we're just human beings. But anyways... Uh, tell you what is written in a dependable book. There is no one who strengthens me against these princes, except Michael, your prince. Um, and in the first year of Darius the Mede, I uh, stood to strengthen him and to provide protection for him. Now I will tell you the truth. And uh, we're in chapter 11 with uh, verse 2, part B, and we'll pick up here three more kings will arise for Persia. So again, we got four beasts. We've got the, uh, if I can remember the crazy vision descriptions, it's like an eagle with wings, a bear with uh, three ribs in its mouth, a leopard, and then the final empire. I can't remember, but the Roman Empire, I think Revelation would describe it as a dragon. Um, And so um, this is speaking of the second beast, which is that of Persia. So, The angel, again, don't see Daniel 7 through 12. Chronologically, it's not. It's speaking of of different things with each vision. So this vision in uh, chapter 11 is speaking with more um, prophecy and revelation concerning that second beast and how it will come to a close. And then also that third beast. Uh, The preceding vision that we unpacked um, I believe in, I'm getting them all confused, quite frankly. Um, I believe in chapter 8 as well was um, explaining these things. And I think the reason for that is got to realize this is written by Daniel. Um, this is uh, reported to Daniel, revealed to Daniel. He lives in, um, in the 500s BC. And so this is the, the next major event. Now, for us, we're far removed. All these events have already occurred. Um, concerning the prophecies of these kingdoms. They've all taken place. Um, But for Daniel, this is the next major scene to take place. So, So keep that in mind. Three more kings will arise for Persia. Then a fourth king will be unusually rich, more so than all who precede him. When he has amassed power through his riches, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. And uh, four kings indeed arose in Persia after Cyrus, uh, Cambyses, uh, the third, Darius the IV, and Xerxes, uh, who led the Persians against the Greeks in about 485 to 465 BC. If you've seen the very popular Hollywood movie of the 300, the battle at Thermopylae um, with the Spartans, um, the guy that's bald. And got rings all over him. That is Xerxes. So to place where you're at in history, uh, maybe that will be help, helpful a reference everyone might know. So it goes on to say in verse 3, Then a powerful king will arise, exercising great authority and doing as he pleases. Again, this is something that the visions previously have spoken to. And he's getting more revelation concerning the same events from a different perspective with also some additional revelation. Verse four, shortly after his rise to power, his kingdom will be broken up and distributed toward the four winds of the sky, but not to his posterity or with the authority he exercised for his kingdom will be uprooted and distributed to others besides these. Now, um, one with great power being distributed to uh, four should... Uh, Ring some bells in your mind if you've been watching this series in Daniel with uh, chapter 7 through 12. um, What you'll know is this is speaking of Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great, according to Daniel's visions, is um, one of the visions. He is the leopard, that Greek empire of the four beasts that come out of the the sea, the Mediterranean. From the other vision, which is the uh, vision concerning the ram and the goat, uh, Alexander the Great is the uh, goat who conquers the ram and kills it. Um, and then um, that is uh, Greece or the Greeks. And of course, uh, Alexander the Great is that horn that as soon as it comes up is also um, conquered. And then uh, four rise up in its place. So this is building upon previous revelation that's been given to Daniel here. Um, so keep that in, in mind as we are, are reading. Again, I want you to see uh, prophecy after prophecy that is fulfilled in Daniel. It's just preposterous. It's, it's quite, quite insane. If anyone um, asks for the evidence of the truthfulness of the Bible, just hand them the book of Daniel and tell them to read a history book. But anyways, verse 5, chapter 11, Then the king of the south and one of his subordinates will grow strong his subordinate will resist him and will rule a kingdom greater than his. Uh, verse five, historically was fulfilled through uh, Ptolemy, uh, one Soter, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, was the king of the south or of Egypt. Uh, one of his rulers or subordinates refers to Ptolemy's uh, son quite possibly, which is Ptolemy uh, the second, Philadelphus, or else, it's Seleucus uh, Nicator, another of Alexander's generals who allied with Ptolemy the First and later gained power over him. Goes on to continue with prophetic um, insights in verse six. After some years have passed, they will form an alliance, um, which leads me to think it's the second um, of those two that I just mentioned, not the son but the general. Then the daughter of the king of the south will come to the king of the north to make an agreement, but she will not retain her power, nor will he continue in his strength. She together with one who brought her, her child, and her benefactor will all be delivered over at that time. Um, verse six fulfills uh, was fulfilled that prophecy concerning uh, Bernice, the daughter of Ptolemy the second, Philadelphus. Um, she could uh, not retain her power when her father died, and was assassinated um, along with those who strengthened her. It was uh, under Ptolemy the second, Philadelphus, king of Egypt, from two eighty seven to two forty seven B.C., that the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament uh, was begun. Um, So from some notes there. So um, it goes on to say, verse seven, there will arise in his uh, place one from her family line who will come against their army and will enter the stronghold of the king of the north and will move against them successfully. He will also take their gods into captivity to Egypt along with their cast images and prized utensils of silver and gold. Then he will withdraw for some years from the king of the north. Then the king of the north will advance against the empire of the king of the south, but will withdraw to his own land. Um, so verse 7 through 10, uh, excuse me, verse 7 through verse 9, uh, seems to be speaking of this girl, Bernice's brother, um Ptolemy uh, the Third ever gets uh, he avenged her by killing her assassin uh, Seleucus a king of the north that was previously mentioned. After which he carried their Syrian gods back to Egypt. It um, goes on to say in in uh, verse ten, his sons, um, those of the one that. Uh, uh, was the king of the north um, will wage war, mustering a large army, which will advance like an overflowing river and carry the battle all the way to the enemy's fortress. Verse ten: uh, The sons of Seleucus Callinicus uh, uh, of the north were Seleucus Serenueus uh, Cyre- and Anticus the third. They did indeed assemble great forces, as the text says, uh, but it was Antiochus who passed through and invaded the south. Again, Antiochus III, um, this is at the tail end of the uh, um, time before the uh, second desolation, abomination of desolation, which takes place in the life of Judas Maccabees which we are going to see prophecies concerning Judas Maccabees um, and those things which are to take place um, in the following verses within this chapter. So that's the end of verse 10. Uh, His sons will wage war, mustering a large army, which will advance like an overflowing river, and carrying the battle all the way to the enemy's fortress. Again, um, those are the people by which this prophecy was fulfilled. In the next prophecy, verse eleven, chapter 11, verse 11, Then the king of the south will be enraged and will march out to fight against the king of the north, who will also muster a large army. But that army will be delivered into his hand. When the army is taken away, the king of the south will become arrogant. He will be responsible for the death of thousands and thousands of people, but he will not continue to prevail. It says in uh, verse 13, For the king of the north will again muster an army, one larger than before. At the end of some years, he'll advance with a huge army and enormous supplies. In those times, many will oppose the king of the south. Those who are violent among your own people will rise up in confirmation of the vision, but they will falter. So, Enraged, um, told me the fourth uh, Philopater did fight with the king of the north in about 218 BC, but he did not gain um, the authority or supremacy in that situation. Um, Antiochus the third of Syria in the north uh, was the one who mustered the greater army, and he defeated the forces of his young son, Ptolemy the fifth Epiphanes. Um, again, Ptolemy the fourth. Um, excuse me, uh, told me the fifth epiphanies in 204 uh, BC with the help of um, the, uh, the people amongst the Jews as um, it says, those who are violent among your own people uh, in verse 14. So those things were uh, fulfilled there. Then the king of the north will advance and will build siege mounds and capture a well-fortified city. Um, And I also found a helpful uh, study note in the NET study Bible. This well-fortified city is apparently Sidon. Um, It's capture from the Ptolemies by Antiochus the Great was a strategic victory for the Seleucid kingdom. The forces of the south will not prevail, um, not even his finest contingents. They will have no strength to prevail. Verse uh, 16 goes on to say, the one advancing against him will do as he pleases and no one will be able to stand before him. He will prevail in the beautiful land and its annihilation will be within his power. Verse 16 of chapter 11 is concerning Antiochus III who took Judea in battle with Scopus of the South. This um, included a siege of Scopus's garrison at, at Jerusalem And uh, Antiochus III stood in the land of beauty, uh, which is spoken of um, here. So we go on to uh, verse 17. Um, His intention will be to come with the strength of his entire kingdom, and he will form alliances. He will give the king of the south a daughter in marriage in order to destroy the kingdom but it will not turn out to his advantage. Um, this is a extremely famous story. Um, many of you may have heard of this story, um, even if you're not a history buff. Um, in an effort to ally himself with Egypt, Antiochus III married off his child daughter, Cleopatra, the famous Egyptian queen, uh, to seven-year-old uh. Ptolemy the fifth, Epiphanes, but in the end, uh, they did not uh, remain with him. They didn't. It didn't turn out to his advantage. Again, in this fulfillment of another prophecy, I I, uh, I don't even know how many prophecies are being confirmed um, concerning just this one chapter in Daniel, but it is a lot. Verse eighteen, it says, "Then he will turn his attention to the coastal regions and will capture many of them." but a commander will bring his shameful conduct to a halt. In addition, he will make him pay for his shameful conduct. Uh, He will then turn his attention to the fortresses of his own land, but he will stumble and fall, not to be found again. Um, Having gone to the coast in islands of Asia Minor and having later met with several defeats, Antiochus III could not be found. He disappeared and was not heard from again. As the text says, he'll stumble and fall not to be found again. Um, so that's the historical fulfillment of that prophecy. Chapter 11, verse 20 says, There will arise after him one who will send out an exactor. Uh, let's see how else will still translate this. Perhaps an exactor of tribute was Heliodorus of 2 Maccabees, the 3rd. Uh, This is when we start to get to the uh, section of the Maccabees um, concerning the second abomination of desolation um, of tribute to enhance the splendor of the kingdom. But after a few days, he will be destroyed, though not in anger or in battle. Antiochus, uh, his um, tribute, um, his root, Most likely refers to one of his sons, Salacious Philopater. He confiscated uh, treasures from the temple in Jerusalem, but performed no great deeds and died without fighting a single battle. Um, So, that, uh, as it says, though not in anger or battle, seems to be the fulfillment of that prophecy. We then pick up with uh, verse 21. Then there will arise in his place a despicable person to whom the royal honor has not been rightfully conferred. He will come on the scene in a time of prosperity and will seize the kingdom uh, through deceit. Um, So this seizing the kingdom through deceit, um, I just wanted to read a quick note from Josephus concerning these events. Um, This is from um, his antiquities. Now it came to pass after two years in the 145th year, on the 20th day of that month, which is by us called Chaslo and by the Macedonian Apuleius in the 153rd Olympiad that the king came up to Jerusalem and pretending peace, he got possession of the city by treachery. So as it says, um, the prophecy that uh, will seize the kingdom through deceit That's been understood historically what the fulfillment of that prophecy was. We continue on verse 22. Armies will be suddenly swept away in defeat before him. Both they and a covenant leader will be destroyed. After entering into an alliance with him, he will behave treacherously. He'll ascend to power with only a small force. In a time of prosperity... For the most productive areas of the province, he will come and accomplish what neither his fathers nor their fathers accomplished. He will distribute loot, spoils, and property to his followers, and he will devise plans against fortified cities, but not for long. This was all fulfilled um, as they prophesied towards Antiochus Epiphanes IV from 175 to 164 B.C., This is a prominent character character for the destruction of the temple. Uh, He was another son of Antiochus III. (laughs) The fathers see him as a, um, the church fathers saw him as a type of the Antichrist. um, And he was. And so again, if you check out the Olivet Discourse, which I've yet to make a video on, but um, we'll talk about Jesus references in all the synoptic gospels a, um, He references the abomination of desolation concerning Antiochus Epiphanes, which already took place about, um, say, 180 years, give or take, um, in his time with Antiochus Epiphanes. And uh, Jesus then references a future abomination of desolation, which is to take place in his lifetime. Um, So that's why it's so important um, that we understand uh, these unique uh, differences. So Antiochus Epiphanes is a type of the Antichrist. He is not the Antichrist that is yet to take place um, in the time of Judas Maccabees. But uh, as Revelation will speak to, and as Daniel speaks to himself, um, this is to take place, and as Jesus speaks to as well, um, at the destruction of the Temple of Jerusalem. So, pick up... Um, The fathers see him as a type of the Antichrist. I mentioned that. um, Who will rise at the end of the Jewish age. And Antiochus overcame the Ptolemies by feigning clemency. That is by intrigue. He uh, reigned in Syria for 11 years after Seleucus. And he seized Judea as well. He defiled the temple in Jerusalem, thus provoking war with the Maccabees, um, who he fought for Jewish self-rule. The Maccabees fought for Jewish self-rule instead of being ruled by the Greeks, uh, the ruler of the covenant, as we'll see in uh, verse 22, uh, prophesies uh, Judas Maccabees. So armies will be suddenly swept away in defeat before him, uh, verse 22, but they and a covenant leader will be destroyed. So um, this is speaking again uh, towards Judas Maccabees. This is in first and second Maccabees, which are inter- intertestamental works. That are not in your Bible, but are fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. Um, but if you have an NRSV, it's in your Bible. If you have a Catholic Bible, it's in your Bible. If you have an Eastern Orthodox Bible, it's in your Bible. Um, if you're like me and you got the NET or you got the CSB or whatever you got, if you're a Protestant, it's not in your Bible, sadly. So um, prophesize Judas Maccabees. Um, Antiochus was able to take over Egypt as well as Syria with only a small force of men. He goes on to say, after entering into an alliance with him, he'll behave treacherously. He'll ascend to power with only a small force. Uh, This was Judas Maccabees. um, And then in a time of prosperity, um, for the most productive areas of the province uh, he will come and accomplish what neither his fathers nor their fathers accomplished. He'll distribute loot, spoils, and prosperity to his followers, and he'll devise plans against uh, fortified cities, but not for long. And again, this is in reference to Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, his forefathers could not conquer, um, but he does. So um, this small force of verse 23 uh, was, would probably most likely be speaking towards um, Antiochus Epiphanes, even though Judas Maccabeus had an extremely small force as well. It seems like they were aided by God. Goes on to say he will arouse his strength and enthusiasm against the king of the south with a large army. Uh, the king of the south will wage war with a, with a large and very powerful army But he will not be able to prevail because of the plans devised against him. Those who share the king's fine food will attempt to destroy him and his army will be swept away. Uh, Many will be killed in battle. These two kings, their minds uh, filled with evil intentions will trade lies with one another at the same table. But it will not succeed for there is still an end at the appointed time Uh, Then the king of the north. Uh, will return to his own land um, with much property. His mind will be set against the Holy Covenant. He'll take action and then return to his own land. So we pick up in verse 29. At an appointed time, he'll invade the south, but this latter visit will not um, turn out the way the former one did. Uh, The ships of Kittim... Will come against him, leaving him disheartened. He will turn back and direct his indignation against the Holy Covenant. He'll return and honor those who forsake the Holy Covenant. His forces will rise up and profane the fortified sanctuary, stopping the daily sacrifice. Again, all of this uh, that I have highlighted in this section if you're watching, but really verse twenty nine and following um, seems to be clearly speaking of what we find in first and second Maccabees concerning Hanukkah concerning Judas Maccabees and the reclaiming of the temple and the purifying of the temple Um, but there's some prophecies some of those prophecies in verse 25 to 30 I I couldn't find clear references on and didn't want to get hung up again this isn't an exhaustive study on Daniel Lord willing I'll be able to do that one day but this is just really all this is just study for the all of it discourse um, in my Mark series So at an appointed time, he'll again invade the south. But this uh, latter visit will not turn out the way the former one did. The ships of Kittim will kind of come against him. We do have a a verified prophecy there that I found leaving him disheartened. He'll turn back and direct his indignation against the Holy Covenant. He will return and honor those who forsake the Holy Covenant. His forces will rise up and profane the fortified sanctuary, uh, stopping the daily sacrifice. In its place, they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. Um, So this is something that Jesus mentions, um, a third one happening. Um, This is in prophesying of the second abomination that causes desolation. And um, I've got a quote from Josephus. I'd like to read to you and also some notes. Um, verse 30, really through up through 35, I think it's concerning the Romans who came against Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth and made him leave Egypt. Um, and most scholars date this around 168 BC. Um, he was enraged. He began his persecution of the Jews and his desecration of the temple. Um, in verse 34, um, we see, um, As we'll we'll go on to read, uh, when they stumble, they will be granted some help. Verse 34 um, seems to be speaking from the Maccabean revolt that was led ultimately by Matthias Maccabees, which was the father of Judas Maccabees. Um, He had multiple sons. And uh, many of the earlier Christians um, saw the destruction of the temple by the Roman general Titus in AD 70, as well as the persecutions of Christians by the Roman emperor Nero as fulfillments of these verses. Um, I think this is mainly speaking towards uh, the Maccabean revolt, but uh, far be it for me to disagree with the early church fathers. I could be wrong on that. Um, But um, I think there's three abominations of desolation. So maybe um, when... Christians are trying to pinpoint one specific abomination of desolation. Like if you read Josephus, uh, he would see the first one uh, being the king of Babylon, the second one being Judas Maccabee's um, event, and, um, and then the third, of course, as uh, Titus. I would see it the same way. Um, so maybe there's no need to distinguish it. Um, there are a collection of prophecies in the book of Daniel, and it's not speaking of one singular event. Um, but I just wanted to quote Josephus here. Um, by the way, abomination of desolation is—it's hard to describe. Uh, one one way to describe it would be the ruining of Jewish worship. But it's particularly when the the temple is uh, made unclean or destroyed. Um, so if a city is conquered, like if Jerusalem is conquered, but the temple remains, the abomination of desolation hasn't occurred. They've just been conquered. But if the, the temple is torn down or if it's, it's made unclean or false gods are brought into it, it, it's the abomination of desolation. That's how I distinguish those because we have many sackings of Jerusalem, but only three that I know of um, abominations of desolations that take place um, in, in human history. Um, to quote Josephus, and when the king had built an altar, uh, built an idol altar upon God's altar, this is the second abomination of desolation that is prophesied here in Daniel and confirmed through Josephus and the early church. When the king had built an idol altar upon God's altar, he slew swine upon it or pigs and so offered a sacrifice neither according to the law nor the Jewish religious worship in that country. He also compelled them to forsake the worship which they paid their own God and to adore those whom he took to be gods and made them build temples and raise idol altars in every city and village and offer swine upon them every day. He also commanded them not to circumcise their sons. Um, Basically, he's having them violate every Jewish law that that God has called them to and threatened to punish any that should be found to have transgressed uh, his injunction He also appointed overseers who should compel them to do what he commanded and indeed many Jews there uh, who complied with the king's commands either voluntarily or out of fear of the penalty that was denounced. Um, But the best men and those of the noblest souls did not regard him just like just Maccabees, uh, but did pay a greater respect to the customs of their country than concern as to the punishment, which he threatened to the disobedient on which account they every day underwent a great miseries and bitter torments for they worshiped with rods and their bodies were torn to pieces and were crucified while they were still alive and breathed. They also strangled those women and their sons whom they had circumcised. And as the King had appointed hanging their sons about their necks as they were upon the crosses. And if there were any sacred uh, book of the law found, it was destroyed. This is in confirmation of the earlier prophecy of a preceding chapter where it says the the book of truth or the truth was trampled I think that's confirmed here and those with whom they um, were found miserably perished also so in Daniel we have a couple of, of uh, tribulation like times suffering like times to occur, the three and a half year tribulation is a specific time period um, that uh, Jesus proclaims was going to take place in his life. And um, for these other sections in Daniel, the tribulations spoken of are not that same trip. There's not just one tribulation. The Jewish people have gone through many tribulations uh, throughout human history. But what the, the great troubling time and fighting that is taught throughout the prophecies of Daniel is, I think um, many of those, not all of them for sure, but many of them do point us towards um, the uh, before the time of Christ, um, around the 160s and uh, preceding and following, really, of all the fighting that was going on with the Jewish people. So the people who are loyal to uh, their God will act violently. Again, the study note, this is an allusion to the Maccabean Revolt, which struggled to bring about Jewish independence in the 2nd century B.C. Um, And I think I forgot to read verse 32. So verse uh, 31, in its place, they'll set up the abomination that caused desolation. We just read Josephus. This happened with the altering of Jupiter or Zeus, depending upon if you're looking at the Greek tradition of of pagan worship or the Roman tradition of uh, pagan worship. The Greeks seem to call him Jupiter. The Romans seem to call him Zeus, Zeus. Something like that. And uh, he sets up Zeus, sacrifices pigs. This is the abomination that causes desolation. Um, Then the smooth words he will defile. Those who have rejected the covenant, but the people who are loyal to their God will act valiantly. And this is um, the Maccabean revolt. They fight off many uh, soldiers and they conquer and they retake the temple. Uh, Verse 33, those who... These who are wise among the people will teach the masses. Uh, this is recorded also in 1st and 2nd Maccabees. However, they will fall by the sword and by the flame, and they will be imprisoned and plundered for some time. Again, uh, Josephus would see this sometime of being imprisoned and plundered uh, according to the Macedonians uh, doing this, if I remember Josephus correctly. Verse 34. When they stumble they will be granted some help, but many will unite with them the deceit uh, with them deceitfully, even some of the wise will stumble, resulting in their refinement, purification, and cleansing until the time of the end, for it is still for the appointed time. So it, these things are still leading up to the appointed time um, before the abomination of desolation. And, and again, all of this is in 1st and 2nd Maccabees, these histories of fulfillment of all these prophecies, um, verse 33 through 35 that I've just read. Um, you get this just in a plain reading of 1st and 2nd Maccabees. It says in verse uh, 36, it goes on to say, um, then the king will do as he pleases. So scholars really debate over, over this um, section. It seems like, this is a break in the prophecies if you've forgotten where we're at where we're at excuse me uh, we're still going through prophecy we're still going through the vision we're still going through um, really the the revelation given to daniel and it's a lot and um so go get you a cup of uh black coffee or a diet soda and come get back to work when you're ready you can pause it but uh, anyways it seems like verse 36 of this is is uh, possibly speaking towards a future event. Again, uh, recognize that these prophecies aren't time-sensitive, as we saw with Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, where some of those are time-sensitive, but not all of them. None of these are time-sensitive. It's just predicting the future, but not with definitive time stamps. So with 11.36, it's not a stretch by any means to say this is speaking of a future event. Um And they had a study note I found helpful uh, concerning this next prophecy in verse 36. Then the king, it says the identity of this king is problematic. If uh, verse 36 through 45 continue the description of Antiochus Epiphanes, the account must be viewed as erroneous since the details do not match what is known of Antiochus' latter days. Most modern scholars take this view, concluding that uh, this section was written just shortly before the death of Antiochus and that the writer erred on several key points as he tried to predict what would follow these events of his own day. Uh, conservative scholars, however, usually understand the reference to shift at this point to an eschatological or future uh, figure, the Antichrist, the chronological gap that this would uh, propose uh, presuppose to be And the narrative is not necessarily a problem since all accounts there are are many chronological gaps throughout the chapter as the historical figures intended by such expressions as the King of the North and the King of the South repeatedly shift. If you if I lost you there, what they're basically saying is that um if you try to pin this to Antiochus Epiphanes the Fourth, Antiochus the Fourth, it doesn't pin to him. But the reality is that it's not time sensitive, and that's the way I keep explaining it. In other words uh, it seems to be an easy break in the text where it's speaking of a future abomination of desolation um, because we know there was another one that Christ predicted in in the generation of um, the disciples' lifetime. So this next break, then the king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every deity and he will utter presumptuous things against the God of gods. He will succeed until the time of wrath is completed. Um, so just for transparency, I see verse 36 and following speaking to the emperor uh, Nero uh, and, and the, the sacking of the temple by Titus. Um, and I think they fit these descriptions. But anyways, he'll exalt and magnify himself above every deity and he will utter presumptuous things against the God of gods. He'll succeed until the time of wrath is completed for what has been decreed must occur. And we know there's a a three and a half year tribulation that is prophesied uh, for God's people clearly in Revelation. And I think that's what this is speaking of. And these same things um, is overlapped in Revelation as well. He will not respect the gods of his fathers, not even the God loved by women. Uh, Verse 37 is very, very challenging to translate. Uh, Some translate, the God loved by women is as desired by women. Um, some some translate it to say he will not respect the gods of his fathers, uh, nor the desire of women. Um, if it's that, if it's not the desire of women, um, this would be most likely fulfilled with Nero because he was such a pervert. Um, but anyways, um, and, and a freaky guy. But uh, I'm not really sure about that. Like I said, I'm just trying to interpret all of it, discourse. Um, but anyways, he'll not respect any god. He'll elevate himself above all. What he will honor is a god of fortresses, a god his fathers did not acknowledge. He will honor with gold, silver, valuable stones, and treasured commodities. He will attack mighty fortresses aided by a foreign deity. Again, I just want to point out the Deuteronomy 32. Verse eight worldview here, you have an angel telling Daniel that um, this guy, most likely the antichrist is going to attack mighty fortresses and be aided by a foreign deity. That's in your Bibles. So I just wanted to mention here, um, Christians shouldn't believe in monotheism in the sense that um, Yahweh is the only um, heavenly being. That's not a biblical worldview Likewise, we shouldn't, as Christians, believe in polytheism, the idea that God is on par with all heavenly beings. That's not a biblical worldview. But rather, the biblical worldview is that there is no one like Yahweh and that he stands above every other heavenly being. But according to Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, um, Psalm uh, 81, 82, uh, also the whole book of Daniel, we've seen this reference multiple times. Uh, The biblical worldview is that Yahweh is above every God, but that he has entrusted uh, archangels or high up ranking angels, spiritual beings with the ruling and reigning of the earth. And um, so that's what we're seeing here with um, this group of, of uh, soldiers that are not on par with God being aided by a foreign deity. I think it literally means they're aided by a foreign deity. I have no problem with the supernatural world view of the scriptures. Uh, that's that's how I see the world uh, and through those kinds of lens. He goes on to say, to those who recognize him, he will grant considerable honor. He will place them in authority over many people and he will parcel out land for a price. Verse 40, at the time of the end of the king of the south will attack. Uh, then the king of the north will storm against him with chariots, horsemen, and large armada of ships. He'll invade lands, passing through them like an overflowing river. To be quite frank, I'm really not as familiar with the latter part of uh, chapter 11. Um, It says, Then he will enter the beautiful land. Uh, Many will fall, but these will escape. Edom, Moab, and the Ammonite leadership. He will extend his power against other lands. The land of Egypt will not escape. He will have control over the hidden stores of gold and silver, as well as uh, all the treasures of Egypt. Libyans and Ethiopians will submit to him, but reports will trouble him uh, from the east and north, and he will set out in a tremendous rage to destroy and wipe out many. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas toward the beautiful holy mountain. Again, this is speaking of Jerusalem, but he will come to his end with no one to help him. Um, So this is possibly speaking of uh, somewhere between the time of the destruction of the temple and um, and the time of Antiochus epiphanes or Antiochus the fourth says in verse uh chapter 12 verse one uh just a few last verses at that time Michael the great prince who uh in jewish thought is is over uh Israel and is there there um Archangel, if you will, who fights for them. At that time, Michael, the great prince who watches over your people, Israel, will arise. There will be a time of distress unlike any other from the nation's beginning. Um, Again, this seems to be speaking to uh, revelation to the destruction of the Jewish nation where Josephus records 1.1 million Jews being slaughtered. unlike any other from the nations beginning up to that time. But at that time, your own people, all um, those whose names are found written in the book will escape. So I, I just want to explain a few things really really quick. In case you haven't watched the preceding videos, or in case you've forgotten, this is prophecy from an angel to Daniel the prophet, and Daniel is an Israelite. Now he's in exile, but he's an Israelite, and a faithful Israelite. He fasts and prays on behalf of his people Israel. So all of these prophecies are in regards to Israel. And in the time period of Christ, from his inauguration of his kingdom, all the way to 70 AD where the temple is destroyed, you have an overlapping of ages. So when everything in the New Testament is speaking of the end, the end of the age, the end of the age, this all throughout the New Testament. It's speaking of the end of the Jewish age. And the, the people of God are changing in a sense. In the Old Testament, the way that you come to salvation is you become a, a devout Jew. That's not how we worship God anymore. No, you can. That's free to you. But, but according to the New Testament, the way you become a worshiper of Yahweh, uh, Gentiles are now welcome welcome into the covenant. And you don't have to follow all the practices of the Jews. that That's the teaching, the clear teaching of the scriptures. So when you see here in, in chapter 12, verse 1, this is really important uh, prophecy here. But what you need to see is is that this is speaking specifically to the Israelite people. But also, many of those Israelite people are brought into the Christian covenant. So don't miss that. Understand that nuance there. I'll read it again. At the time, Michael, the great prince who watches over your people will arise. There will be a time of distress unlike any other from the nation's beginning up to that time. So he he says there will be a time of distress unlike any other from the nation's beginning up to that time. But at that time, your own people, Israel, um, all those whose names are found written in the book will escape. And I'm led to to believe here he's speaking of the Lamb's book of life. And he's saying that they will escape. Again, um, this is spoken of in Revelation. This is predicted um, through Jesus on the Olivet Discourse. And so we do have record of Israelites escaping the coming wrath there in Israel, in Jerusalem. And this took place, they, they ran to the hills as Jesus warned them. Those are, who are in Judea must flee, Jesus tells them. Um, and so we'll, we'll unpack that. If, if you're curious about this, um, check out my all of it Discourse uh, video or videos, depending on how long that goes. But at the time your own people all those whose names are found and written in the book will escape. And that is the record of the early church fathers, including Eusebius, um, including Josephus, that uh, they did escape to the the mountains, to Pella, uh, that town. And uh, it explains a lot of things in the New Testament. So uh, that's what's being spoken of here. Of course, as I tried to nuance earlier, Daniel is concerned for his people, which are the Israelites. Um, Verse 2, chapter 12 Many of those who sleep in the dusty ground will awake; some to everlasting life, and others to shame and everlasting abhorrence. Uh, this is the the section of scripture in the Old Testament and the prophets that we're going to see speaks most clearly to the idea of a resurrection. So this is why the the Sadducees uh, rejected this because they reject the Book of Daniel because it was among the prophets and not the Torah. But the uh, the Pharisees accepted this as sacred scripture, thus did believe in the resurrection. And we get strong evidence for that here. Uh, We get it in in multiple places, uh, even in the Torah as well, as Jesus points out in uh, the gospels. But we also get this um, here in Daniel very clearly, very explicitly. So many of those who sleep in the dusty ground will awake. Um, I've explained that in other, other parts in the gospels of Mark. I won't go into that, but Abraham's bosom is then brought to heaven, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting abhorrence, Uh, speaking to the ultimate fate of those who are in Sheol, which will be cast in the lake of fire. Um, It says in verse three, but the wise will shine like the brightness of the heavenly expanse and those bringing many to righteousness will be like the stars forever and ever. So speaking to... Uh, just the righteousness, um, the holiness that will be gifted to the saints, and um, they will shine, it says, like the heavens, like the stars, possibly a reference to angel, I'm not really sure. Um, And then he goes on to say, but you, Daniel, close up these words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many will dash about and knowledge will increase. Again, Daniel is like 500 years before the time of Christ, um, 550, so Or 580. But, anyways, um, God is revealing so much to him. Verse 5 I, Daniel, watched as two others stood there, one on each side of the river. One said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, When will the end of these wondrous events occur? Again, as I stated earlier, where there's debate amongst conservative and. And uh, non-conservative scholars, it seems again that he's asking another question of time period. So it seems more easily to separate the two. Um, Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was over the waters of the river as he raised both his right and left hands to the sky and made an oath by the one who lives forever. Um, It is for a time, times, and half a time, three and a half years. Then, when the power of the one who sh- shatters the holy people has been exhausted, all these things will be finished. Again, this is speaking of the latter part of the tribulation. Uh, many would place this um, with the uh, before the destruction of the temple. I heard, but I did not understand. So I said, sir, what will happen after these things? He said, go, Daniel, for these matters are closed and sealed until the time of the end. Might I mention here, the book of Revelation is the unsealing of these events. And so, uh, revelation means the unveiling. So here in Daniel chapter 12, verse nine, he said, go Daniel for these matters are closed and sealed until the time of the end. The time of the end was the destruction of the temple. in a few years, if, um, If Revelation was written in uh, the mid-60s A.D., then then God revealed these things in full right before the uh, destruction of the temple. So I'm not going to get into Revelation right now. I'm not going to touch it with a 10-foot pole. But I just want to point out where where there's overlap. And I do think regardless of eschatological views or views of the end times or views of all those kinds of things... um, These things are more fully revealed in Revelation. Hopefully we can all agree on that. He said, Go Daniel, these matters are closed and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made clean and refined, but the wicked will go on being wicked. None of the wicked will understand, though the wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is removed and the abomination that causes desolation is set in place, there are 1,290 days. So I think in verse 11, it says, from that time that the daily sacrifice is removed and the abomination that causes desolation is set in place, there are 1,290 days. There's lots of theories on this. A lot of people think this is a discrepancy in the Bible. I think this is a clear uh, speaking to uh, for the book of Revelation. And I think it's to the uh, first century Christians um, who uh, were under the warning of Jesus of when to flee um, to, mount, uh, to the mountains. And so it says from the time the daily sacrifice is removed. So I think this is probably better understood, this prophecy, in light of Revelation. And I haven't done the history or research there to understand that, but I think that's what this is referring to. So from the time the daily sacrifice is removed and the abomination that causes desolation is set in place, there are uh, 1,290 days, um, a little over uh, three years, I believe. Um, Blessed is uh, the one who waits. And uh, let me pull out a calculator, get our uh, end times charts out, everybody. So 1290 divided by uh, that was a joke. If you didn't catch that, divided by um, I guess 360. If we're going by Jewish calendar, uh, would come out to 3.58 uh, and some change. So about three, 3.6 years. So it seems like there was um, from the time that the, the daily sacrifice is removed. And the abomination that causes desolation is set in place. There are 1290 days. So it seems to be maybe a timetable for possibly Jesus's generation. And maybe this as well is why um, the New Testament uh, includes a parenthetical note for them to reference Daniel. So they might better understand this. But... um, They would be able to count, uh, according to this uh, prophecy, uh, these things, 1290 days. Blessed is the one who waits and attains to the 1335 days. So maybe seemingly the end of that uh, tribulation, the end of that period of of suffering, um, would be done with um, uh, after, say, uh, 45 days, the 1290 and the 1335 Um, So it seems like maybe um, it would uh, begin there and then end there. Um, Quite possibly, blessed is the one who waits and attains to the 1335 days, but you should go your way until the end. Uh, Speaking of Daniel, you will rest, and then at the end of the days, um, you will arise to receive what you have been allotted. Um, Most likely... Speaking of Daniel's eternal rewards from God after his resurrection. Um, so, um, not extremely clear what uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 11 and 12 mean, those numbering of days um, and all transparency. Um, again, as I've stated, uh, the only purpose of me researching these books is I'm trying to understand the Olivet Discourse and I understand it well, um, but, but also now I'm trying to figure out some of these things regarding the end times. But um, nevertheless, maybe we'll get some clarity if the Lord allows me to teach through the book of Revelation. Uh, Maybe um, some things in there will clarify some things in here. Um, So we'll cover that when it happens. Guys, remember, on essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. I hope this has been a blessing to you. Um, if, If you've learned anything from this video, Uh, Please give it a thumbs up. Uh, Give me a like. And if you have any questions, you can send them to askgrantmooney at gmail.com, all lowercase, uh, no spaces. Um, Or if you would like, you can always leave a comment down below. Thank you.